Welcome to the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast, featuring the original hockey insider, Bob McKenzie. Hey, that's me, answering your questions on hockey or just about anything else, within reason, of course. If you have a question you would like answered, email me at bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca. And we'll try to get it on the Bobcast. We were a blowout of wicked proportions. An accidental company. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the At TSN Hockey Bobcast for Friday, February the 8th. 2018, although truth be told, and please don't tell anyone, most of this is being recorded on Thursday, February the 7th. In any case, this is season two, episode number 11, and I guess the first thing you need to know is the following. This episode of the Bobcast is brought to you by Budweiser's limited edition gold sink lights. Get yours now at Budweiser.ca and bring it home. Must be legal drinking age. Okay, time to get down to the real business at hand. No dilly-dallying on this. This is the very special, first-ever, Trade Center edition of the Bobcast, where I will try very ambitiously, I might add, to size up basically every team's philosophy or plan uh, in the two-plus weeks leading up to the February 26th uh, trade deadline. Now, a bit of a format change for this edition. Um, Because it's the Trade Center edition, no questions, No listener feedback, no Netflix recommendations, no music touts on Spotify's new releases, and no updates from Dry Island. No time for any of that. Well, that's not quite true. I mean, f*** it. Let's do this quickly. Get it out of the way. Now, if you haven't seen Damnation, it's a new series that was recently released on Netflix, and it's really, really good. It's set in the, uh, the dirty 30s in rural U.S. Midwest, I highly recommend it. I'm only a few episodes in, but, man, I'm already hooked. Uh, Now, if you like Canadian rock, and I most certainly do, then check out The Sheepdogs, The Pride of Saskatoon. They've got a new album out. It's called Changing Colors, and it's really good. Top to bottom, The Sheepdogs. Um, By the way, I believe they're touring, and if I check my calendar correctly, they're going to be at Massey Hall in Toronto on Friday, March 2nd, so I may have to try and get out, uh, get out to that one. Uh, finally, a very quick update from Dry Island. I do have to report a lapse. Sorry about that, but uh, I couldn't help it. Last Saturday night, I did feel the need to, um, you know, take a little dip in the waters off Dry Island. And uh, actually, I took a bit of a plunge, and it was into a bottle of Camus. Uh, for the record, I did go 26 alcohol-free days before breaking down for a little Camus and my wife Cindy's uh, world-famous homemade pizza, which is absolutely fantastic, but that's another story. Anyways, I was right back on Dry Island the next day, and I will be on Dry Island until at least Friday, March the 2nd, or thereabouts, especially if I do end up going to the uh, the Sheepdogs concert. All right then, uh, time to get busy, and obviously it is very busy leading up to this deadline. I never know for sure how busy it's going to be. Everybody always asks me that. I don't know how many big names are going to move or not move. Uh, But there's obviously a lot of talk, as there always is. And um, your guess is probably as good as mine as how much action there will be. But I I do generally know this. As as much time and effort and focus as we put into the trade deadline, the reality is that it's usually, I mean, most of the trades that get made at the deadline or in the week or two before, for the most part anyways, if they were made in October or November, 
we wouldn't spend that much time talking about them, but it's the time of the year. And, and for me, really, the trade deadline is more about declarations. Uh, that is, once the deadline's over, you can really size up every team, all 31 of them, and you, and you can see who's got what, what's what, and, and what and pretty much where everybody stands going down the stretch dive. Now, for some people, that's, that's selling off and trying to go into a dive and get the best lottery pick you possibly can. For others, obviously, it's about contending for the Cup. But the bottom line is, once the trade deadline's over on Monday, February 26th, that night or by the next morning anyways, you can go all up and down everybody's lineup and you see exactly what everybody's got. Uh, so with that in mind, I'm going to try and zip through all 31 teams here and, and size up where they're at and what they may be trying to do between now and the deadline. Now, I apologize to you if the synopsis on your favorite team ends up being a little short or superficial, um, but there are 31 teams, and to get through this, uh, we don't want this uh, podcast going three hours long. So let's do this alphabetically, because one more confession I must make, aside from falling off dry island, is that I do everything alphabetically, at least as how it relates to the NHL teams. Uh, I feel a little bit like Rain Man sometimes. Uh, every day when I, I sit down to make my list of things, I'm new stories I'm going to chase or what needs to be done or trying to figure out who's available or whatever the case may be, I always go through the league alphabetically. It's almost a sickness, um, but it's how I roll and it's how I've always done it, all the way dating back to the uh, what I call the original 21 of the National Hockey League way back in 1979 when I was actually the first year I was starting out in the business. So there is not a day goes by when I do not do the following at least once and oftentimes way more than that. So just just to give you an idea of, of what goes through my mind, it's this. Anaheim, Arizona, Boston, Buffalo, Calgary, Carolina, Chicago, Colorado, Columbus, Dallas, Detroit, Edmonton, Hartford, Los Angeles, Minnesota, Montreal, Nashville, New Jersey, New York Islanders, New York Rangers, Ottawa, Philly, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, San Jose, St. Louis, Tampa Bay, Toronto, Vancouver, Vegas, Washington, and Winnipeg. That's how I do it. So if, even when I'm on radio and somebody says, well... What do you think about this? In my mind, I'm cataloging through those 30, now 31 teams. Now, you will have noted a couple of things. Number one, I still leave Hartford in the rotation. I consider it something of an ode to Pucky the Whale. Uh, We should probably fire up a little brass bonanza for that. I obviously include Arizona up front in the A's because the team changed its name from Phoenix to Arizona. But in force of habit, I kept Phoenix in the rotation. I don't know why. I just do. So I, I also had to make a conscious effort to find out where I was going to slot Vegas. I mean, it's Las Vegas. Do I put them as an L? But the team, the actual formal name of the team is Vegas. And Vegas tucks in nicely right after Vancouver, but before Washington and Winnipeg, so it's an easy adjustment. Now, I'm going to have to start practicing Seattle soon. I've got to decide whether it's San Jose, St. Louis, Seattle, or San Jose, Seattle, and St. Louis. And it all depends, I guess, on how you spell St. Louis. Is St. Louis alphabetically, should it be S-A-I-N-T, which would put it right after San Jose and ahead of Seattle? Or do you spell St. Louis S-T, period, 
and go San Jose, Seattle, St. Louis. I think I'm probably going to go San Jose, St. Louis, Seattle, but I don't know. And now that I like the sound of San Jose, Seattle, St. Louis kind of rolls off the tongue a little better. Anyways, lots of time to decide on that when they're not even officially in the league. This all, by the way, is a confirmation of how seriously f***ed up I really am. Be that as it may, let's get started. Anaheim, first up. Uh, the Ducks are in a bit of a tough spot here. They're not in, in a playoff spot currently. They're close, but they do have teams to climb over, um, for a wild card spot anyways. Um, and uh, for the division, to get one of the spots in the division, the teams ahead of them have games in hand and are ahead of them. And, and I don't think the Ducks have played well enough, consistently enough, in spite of the fact they've, they've had to deal with a lot of injuries, that, that they've instilled any great sense of confidence in the management and coaching staff there. Um, they, you know, the, the, there isn't this overwhelming feeling, hey, this for sure is a playoff team. And if it is a playoff team, I don't think they've played well enough that you say to yourself, this is a playoff team that, that could go really deep. And, and normally, if you were a playoff team with an older core that included Ryan Getzlaff and Corey Perry and Ryan Kessler, the motto for general manager Bob Murray would be as it is in other years, which is spend, 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 buy, buy, buy at the deadline. Um, Bob Murray's, he can be an aggressive GM. He's not afraid to, to make moves to make his team better. Although historically he's liked to spend judiciously. He's not the kind of GM that, that likes to pay the big high prices when he can go out and get a Patrick Eves at more of a bargain price and, and, and get an effective player. But um, I would sense here that, that it's not likely Anaheim's going to be a huge buyer unless over the course of the next two weeks they make a dramatic improvement and, and somehow a switch gets flipped and they find themselves in one of the divisional spots. And in fact, it's possible if, if they continue to be a bubble team that's more on the outside looking in, that um, the teams ahead of them have games in hand and they've got teams to climb over, I could actually see them maybe looking and saying, hey, we might have to be sellers here. Um, that, you know, even with the Getzlaff, Perry, Kessler-led core, maybe they have to look at moving Antoine Vermette. Vermette would get a lot of calls, and I'm sure they've already gotten calls um, for a defensive specialist and a face-off guy. Um, they do have some other guys who are UFA at the end of this year. Um, they haven't been able to get a deal done with Chris Wagner yet. They've got Derek Grant. They picked up JT Brown, obviously, on waivers from... From Florida, um, get a veteran defenseman in Bosham, and it's his last year. I don't know if he's uh, if he'd be considered a rental or not. I guess the interesting one is if they decided they were going to sell some aging UFAs at the deadline, what about Kevin Bieksa? Uh, full no move, full no trade, so it's, it's entirely in his hands. But that'll be a curious one, and, and that'll be one I, I'll be keeping an eye on. And so the, the, the Ducks are an interesting team. As I said, if they get on a hot streak here, they could be in the divisional playoffs and saying, hey, we, we do want to add something. But um, if they kind of stay where they are, kind of treading water, um, they might be a limited seller, which is in and of itself news because um, um, historically they, they have been one of those teams that have, that have gone for it. So it might be a time that if uh, if, if they're not, it's, it's transitioning to a younger core. And as long as you've got Getzlaff and Perry and Kessler, I mean, that's your core. But, boy, this Ricard Raquel is a hell of a hockey player. And uh, 
And Anaheim, they've done a good job of making sure that they've got draft picks for the future, that they've got kids coming, um, Sam Steele and others. And some of them are going to need time in the minors, but uh, it may be that they're on the cusp of a transitional time in Anaheim, and uh, they may have to look for the first time of, of maybe selling off at the deadline a little bit. Arizona, the Coyotes. Now, I'm not sure how busy John Chaka will be at the deadline, but I do know this. There are only two untouchables in Arizona. Uh, one of them is obviously Oliver ekman Larson, and I think the other one's obvious too, Clayton Keller. Otherwise, I think general manager Chaka is prepared to listen on just about anybody, which is not to be confused with shopping or trying to trade everybody out of there. I was reading the New York Post last week, and I noticed Max Domi's name came up as being available, and technically it is. I mean, by virtue of me saying Oliver ekman Larson and Clayton Keller are the only two untouchables, well, that technically makes Domi and everybody else on the roster available. But the price on Domi or any of the other relatively young Coyotes, I think, would be incredibly steep. So Cheka seems to be convinced that he's going to get Oliver ekman Larson signed in the offseason when he can do an extension. He's a year away from unrestricted free agency. Um, but that's a story for another day. The important thing is uh, OEL, as we like to call him, is not moving at the deadline. And, uh, of course, uh, don't even talk about Arizona trading a kid like Clayton Keller. The, the interesting name uh, on that Arizona roster could be veteran defenseman Nick Schommerson. Now, with one year left at $4.1 million and the kind of playoff pedigree he's got um, doing what he did for Joel Quenville and the Chicago Blackhawks, that might be the type of veteran defenseman somebody comes calling on to Arizona. So he could move, but I don't think it would be a freebie by any stretch. I don't get the sense Arizona's trying to dump him or the contract. Uh, the Coyotes want to re-sign Brad Richardson um, as a depth center, but they are getting calls on him as a rental, so he could possibly move. Um, Luke Shen and Kevin Connaughton are depth D rentals that might be available, but I'm not sure there's a, a huge market for them. All right, Boston up next. Um, this Bruin team is so legit. I mean, they're on an obscene run right now. Um, and for much of the season, we just assumed that Tampa Bay was going to be crowned the best regular season team in the East, keeping in mind no conversation of best in East ever goes very far away from talking about the defending cup champions and you know, back-to-back cup champions in Pittsburgh. But uh, what the Bruins have done over the last little while, and really for most of the season, is, is incredible. This may well be the best team in the Eastern Conference. They're really pushing Tampa Bay now with those games in hand. So if, if I'm the Bruins, if I'm Cam Neely, if I'm general manager Don Sweeney, I've probably got some conflicting thoughts here. Uh, number one, the team has been so hot and in, on such a roll. Why would I mess it up with trades and screw up the chemistry? Maybe I should just leave things exactly as they are. Um, the other part of me would say, man, we are that close to maybe winning a cup this year. We are legit. This is not a fluke. And while we may not keep up the same... Uh, the, the same pace that they've been on for the last 25 or 30 games, um, there's still absolutely a credible threat to win the Cup. So why not go for it? Maybe the light's never been greener to, to add something. Now, you know, the, the, the top line is, is an untouchable. You've got Bergeron, you've got Marchand, and Pasternak. It's dynamite line. A month ago, I would have said, and I think the Bruins might have said, we absolutely need a top six scoring winger to play alongside David Krejci. Um, right now, though, they've got some tremendous chemistry with Jake DeBrusque, Krejci, 
and uh, Ryan Spooner. And the theory would seem to be, well, Spooner's not a natural center. If you could find a right winger that could score and, and play in that top six role, um, why not do that and move Spooner deeper in the lineup? Although, if you do move Spooner, he can't go to the third line because, uh, I mean, Heinen, Nash, and Bacchus is such a good line that, you know, shut down in your face, um, chipping in with some goals when they need to. Heinen's been good on the power play, um, you know. If you push Spooner to the fourth line, wow, that does give you some incredible depth. But they've already got some real good fourth line options there. So I think the Bruins are looking at it with an open mind, but really price sensitive, which is to suggest I think most of these rentals that are out there for the Evander Canes and the Rick Nashes, they come with too high a price tag for what the Bruins would be prepared to do. But, I mean, you never know. The Bruins are well positioned if they want to jump in to the trade market they're in really good shape. They've got all their own draft picks for the next three years, except for their fifth rounder this year. They've got a boatload of prospects who are either uh, an okay bet, uh, a decent bet, or a real sure bet to play in the National Hockey League. Uh, J- uh, Jacob Forsbacka Carlson, Zach Senishin, uh Jacob Zaboral, Jeremy Lozon, Peter Solarik, Earl Vakaninen, Trent Frederick, Ryan Lindgren, um, uh, Ryan Donato, and they've got so many of these guys that are that are coming now. Not all of them are surefire NHLers, and and even if they were, I mean, you wouldn't have room for all of them, given that you've already got some good young players already on the uh, on the team. So you could package up some of those draft picks, you could package up some of those prospects, and you could get into the rental scoring winger market if you choose. You could also maybe make a bigger deal if you want to try to get somebody with some term. And we'll talk about some of those possibilities as we go through the other teams. But um, I got a funny feeling when it's all said and done, maybe the Bruins just settle on getting some depth defensemen, as the old saying goes, and we'll probably say it about 25 times on these capsules. You can never have enough depth on the blue line. And for that matter, depth at forward as well. But um, I'll be curious to see whether the Bruins ante up to pay the higher prices for a top six or a top nine guy. The Buffalo Sabres, for the most part, I think they're focusing right now on Evander Kane and not a whole hell of a lot more. Um, This is a big one for them. It's a sale of a rental, if that makes any sense. And we've talked about the price all year long. They've initially, we're looking for three elements, a first round pick, a top prospect, and maybe a lesser prospect or a lesser pick or a lesser player off of your roster. But I think they're getting the same feeling that the New York Rangers are getting with uh, Rick Nash. And that is if they can get what Arizona got for Hansel last year from Minnesota, that is a first-round pick and a second-round pick, or if you substitute the second-round pick um, with a prospect. So first-round, two, anyways, two pieces. If they can get the first in a prospect or the first in, a, in another draft pick, um, then I think Jason Botter will be happy to get that for Evander Kane. I think Jason Bottle's got lots of big decisions to make, um, but I don't think they're coming at the deadline. Is Robin Leonard your goaltender going forward? He's going to be a restricted free agent at the end of the year. Are you going to ante up on a new long-term contract for him, or do you look at doing something else? Uh, You've got to decide if they're married to their core guys. I know there's been lots of talk about Ryan O'Reilly's name in, in trades, but Jason Bottle will shut that down big time, certainly in season. And And yet I would still suggest that when the season is over, um, bigger picture, um, think tank sort of stuff, 
the Sabres and Botter will have to decide, is Ryan O'Reilly a guy that you're married to, um, or is it something you would consider looking at in the offseason? What about Sam Reinhart? Is this guy a core piece the way Jack Eichel is, or is he not a core piece? And, and those are decisions, I think, that have to be made, but they're going to be made in the summer. Otherwise, I think the decisions we're likely to see between now and the deadline, in addition to Kane, are mostly on the secondary rental market, you know, uh, Benoit Pouliot, does somebody want him for uh, uh, a pick at the last minute before the deadline? Josh George's same sort of thing. I think that's where Buffalo's at. The Calgary Flames. Now, the, I think the Flames really like their team. And, and, but in a perfect world, I still think they're looking for that third-line scoring winger that was supposed to be Yarmory Yager. Um, and hey, listen, a, uh, a, a Brian Burke-led team is always looking for more truculence, and there has been talk that maybe the Flames feel like they could up the ante on their toughness a little bit. I do know that Calgary, along with a lot of other teams, have been scouting the Ottawa Senators a lot lately, and that's prompted a lot of speculation, and I stress speculation as opposed to anything really concrete, that um, that if you're looking for a scoring winger, well, then Mike Hoffman might be available with the Ottawa Senators, although when we get to the Ottawa portion of this uh, this program, We'll uh, talk about how maybe that whole thing on Hoffman is cooling. But whether it's Hoffman, um, Zach Smith is another name that's out there a lot, and, and, and Smith would represent some of the grit that a team like Calgary might be looking at. But uh, in any case, as I said with the Bruins, I'm yet to be fully convinced that Calgary is willing to pay uh, big prices. And, and if they're going to make a swing at Hoffman, it's going to be a big price. Um, Calgary does not have a lot of draft pick currency going for it right now. They have no first or second round pick this year, possibly no second or third in 2019 due to what seemed to me to be the incredibly complicated Travis Hamannick trade conditions, um, which I'm not even going to try to understand or get into at this point, other than to say Calgary isn't well positioned to give up draft picks to get people. But they do have prospects, and my colleague Pierre Lebrun reported earlier this week on Insider Trading that uh, the, the, the big goaltender, uh, John Gillies, out of Providence College, who's been a, a pro for a couple of years now, six foot six goalie, he might be somebody that Calgary would be willing to part with. They've got Tyler Parsons. They've got Redditch. They've, they've got some depth at that position behind Mike Smith. Anyways, the, the Flames do have other prospects that teams would be interested in, um, and so there might be some way to fashion a deal using the picks and or prospects, but, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to say picks. They don't have the picks. There might be some way to fashion a deal with prospects to accomplish the same sort of thing that other teams would use draft picks for. Carolina Hurricanes. Now, uh, I think it's fair to say the natives are getting restless in Carolina. Uh, I know the team's on the bubble to make the playoffs. They're, they're right there, knocking on the door, and they're very crowded and competitive Metropolitan Division, but uh, head coach Billy Peters just blistered his team this past week. If you haven't seen that, go to the uh, uh, the Raleigh Durham News Observer and read Luke DeCock's piece, where uh, Peters just roasts his team for lack of effort and uh, really does question whether they've got the personnel to do what they need to do. Um, the media also jumped on board there, and uh, lots of critical comments on on the current edition of the Hurricanes. Now, it's interesting, too, because they've got a brand-new owner in Tom Dundon who certainly gives the appearance of being a mover and a shaker. Um, Friends with Mark Cuban. 
seems to be an action guy. So the perception out there is that the Canes are going to be active. And if you start to layer it all on top, really unhappy coach with the effort, uh, the media all over them, people running out of patience, um, a, no, a new owner that, that's going to want some moving and shaking going on here. I'm still not sure about that because I'm not sure Ronnie Francis gets as restless um, and as frustrated as quickly as other people do. And I think the general manager of the Canes in this case has a plan and he thinks the plan is the plan and that maybe the Canes are not quite yet at that evolutionary point where it makes sense to start giving up assets, future assets, draft picks and prospects for more immediate help. Now, obviously, as I said, the the Canes are still in the mix to battle for a playoff spot and they do need more scoring. Who doesn't these days, it seems. Although I'm sure Francis, and I saw this uh, quote from him in the paper talking about the Canes, where he suggested that they might just need their ridiculously low team shooting percentage to be naturally improved and that it it can't help but go up at some point. Um, There is, however, an overriding sense that it's only a matter of time that with the depth that they have on the blue line, Slavin, Pesci, Falk, Hannafin, Trevor Van Riemsdyk, Hayden Fleury, Jake Bean coming out of junior hockey, that it is only a matter of time until one of these defensemen is moved for a scoring forward. And, and I think that's a, a fair observation. I just think that some people might be accelerating that, and I don't anticipate it necessarily happening by the deadline. I don't see the Carolina Hurricanes in the rental market to any great degree, and, um, and maybe one day they will trade a prominent defenseman for a prominent forward. But uh, as I said, I think it's more likely at the draft than at the deadline. Now, goaltending has become an issue this season for the current Canes, and it wasn't supposed to be because when they signed Scott Darling to that multi-year deal for four, $4 million plus a year, uh, they thought they had their answer as a number one. Now, Darling has not been good this season, um, but the Canes do believe that he is tracking back a little bit in the right direction, and they do have a lot invested in him. I don't, they can't just cut and run on a guy that's got that many years left at $4 million plus. Um, and while there's been all sorts of talk that maybe Carolina would talk to Detroit about Peter Morazic, and if, and if they haven't spoken, how that might make sense, it might make a lot more sense in the summer. Um, Carolina still has Cam Ward under contract. He's an expiring contract. As I said, they're heavily invested on Darling. Um, so not to say that they don't need to or they won't address their goaltending needs. Again, um, probably more in the summer than at the deadline. Chicago. I think it's safe to say that the Chicago Blackhawks days as a trade deadline buyer uh, would appear to be over. Now, uh, I think they're certainly out of the rental acquisition business. Um, and in fact, they may be a seller of sorts. Now, one would argue that maybe they don't have a lot to sell in that regard. If you look at their pending UFAs, we're talking about a list that includes Lance Boma, Patrick Sharp, Tommy Wingles, Jan Ruda. Michael Kempney and um, you know none of those guys are perceived to be integral parts of what's going on in Chicago right now and I I think the the Hawks attitude would be that if they did move any of those guys for a draft pick that uh, if there were a market for any of them that they have players in Rockford who could come up and, and fill those spots without the team taking a step back now the Hawks are in tough everybody knows that um Playoffs are not out of the question, um, but with the veteran core playing the way they have lately, especially Jonathan Taves, Duncan Keith, Brent Seabrook, 
um, as well as, you know, a, a core young guy like Brandon Saad um, not playing particularly well or as well as, as he can play, you know, making up the ground they need to make up to make the playoffs is, is far from a sure thing. Now, my pal Elliot Friedman from uh, Hockey Night in Canada suggested that um, Brandon Saad is maybe a name we should file away or watch between now and the deadline. And, and wouldn't that be something if Brandon Saad were indeed in play for the Blackhawks? Now, for what it's worth, my sense at this moment, obviously subject to change, is that to Chicago isn't shopping Saad, that the intent is not to trade him. But three things on that. Number one, uh, general manager Stan Bowman is is a, is capable of very bold moves, and look no further than than at the end of last season when he traded uh, Artemi Panarin for Brandon Saad. And now some people might throw shade on the deal because Saad hasn't played as well as he can, but um, never underestimate Stan Bowman's um, capability of uh, of doing something bold and unexpected. Um, number two. The Hawks are a team that uh, is open to doing hockey trades, and uh, and and when when a team says they're willing to do a hockey trade, and you've got a general manager like Bowman, who, as I said, in number one, is not afraid of the bold move, um, anything and everything becomes possible. It's funny um, in the in the hours or the, the the day or so leading up to the Anthony Duclair Chicago trade um, from Arizona, um, I was talking to Stan Bowman. And, and the Hawks, and basically he was saying, yeah, I'm really happy with things are. I'm not sure we're going to do a whole heck of a lot between now and the trade deadline, and then less than 24 hours, they made the Duclair trade, and it was simply a case where, yeah, the, the, there's a hockey trade that made sense to us. I wasn't planning on doing it necessarily, but something came up and do it. And uh, the the number three thing on, on Brandon Saad, though, to keep in mind, is that if they were trading him now, boy, oh, boy, would they be selling low. Um, he's not had a good year by his standards or anybody else's. And so um, I'm not sure you could make a great hockey trade for Brandon Saad right now. But uh, nevertheless, uh, something to keep an eye on. And it is fascinating times in Chicago as they they try to keep the glory years alive by making the playoffs, but uh, recognizing they're very much a team in transition. Up next, the Colorado Avalanche. Now, right now in Colorado, the focus, I think, is entirely on trying to hang in the playoff race um, during this injury to Nathan McKinnon. It's a tough task, but they're asking their kids to do a lot, guys like Kerfoot and Comfer and others. And um, we should point out the Avs are indeed loaded with picks. They've got Ottawa's first-round pick in 2018 or 2019, probably 19 um, as part of that Matthew Shane deal. Um, they've also got Ottawa's third-round pick in 2019, plus all their own. They've also got Nashville's second-round pick in 2018. So this is a franchise that is absolutely loaded over the next two drafts with first, second, and third-round picks because they have all their own. And so they do have a lot of currency there if they decide they wanted to spend it. But I think for now, I get the feeling general manager Joe Sackick is uh, basically staying the course. I don't think they're likely to get into the rental market. I don't anticipate them being big buyers. And unless they lost every game between now and the deadline, I don't see them as being big sellers either. Um, One name that keeps coming up a lot is Tyson Berry on the blue line. Um, I don't believe the Avs are trying to trade him right now. I do believe they get lots of calls on him. Why wouldn't they? Uh, He's got a couple of years left at uh, $5.5 million. He's got uh, offensive ability, so... um, there's lots of teams that would be interested in 
in getting a Tyson Berry. And there's a lot of people who believe because Colorado has got so many good young defensemen coming, Kale McCarr, Connor Timmins, amongst others, uh, and with Samuel Gerrard on their roster already, um, that they might be in a position where they can give up Tyson Berry at some point to get a big ad up front. Um, but I doubt anything like that would happen by the deadline unless somebody comes in and really knocks their socks off with an, uh, with an offer. Uh, quite frankly, I think the um, the biggest ad you might see from Colorado uh, in and around the deadline would be for uh, Vladimir Kamenev um, to maybe get back in the lineup just after the deadline sometime. He's back skating and uh, broke uh, had a broken leg. And um, he's obviously one more asset that they picked up in the uh, the, the Matt Duchesne, Kyle Turris three-way trade with Ottawa, Nashville, and the, and the Avs. And uh, so they hope to get Kamenov into the lineup to get a look at him sooner rather than later. That, that might be an ad for them. The Columbus Blue Jackets. Now, um, I think Jarmo Kekalainen, the general manager there, is open to doing a lot of different things. But I think ultimately at the end of the day, it'll be the play of the team between now and the deadline that, that tells them what to do. Um, I don't think they're opposed to getting some immediate help in the form of rentals. Um, they could use some offense. There's no question at times this year. They've had a real tough time scoring goals. Um, but I think Yarmo's borrowing a page out of the Ronnie Francis songbook where he's talking about if only their shooting percentage would would regress in the right direction, um, that uh, maybe they wouldn't need to go out and get anybody. That they're, they're getting their chances. They're just not going in. Uh, I don't believe that Columbus will pay a huge premium on rentals. Um, I think they need the prices to be what they perceive to be reasonable. That is, don't give up first-round picks. Um, but if for the right player comes along, um, if you have to give up a second or a third and it, and it fills a need, by all means, go for it. Now, as we say, a lot of it depends on whether they continue to win or lose here heading up to the deadline. The funny thing about the, the, the rental being a double-edged sword, when you're buying a rental, you don't want to give up the premium of that first-round pick. But not so much when you're selling a rental. You want that first-round pick, and such is the case with defenseman Jack Johnson, who uh, made it known to the Blue Jackets that maybe he'd like to be traded if he's not going to uh, play top four minutes. And, and a Jack Johnson trade is most certainly a possibility between now and the deadline. Um, but I don't think that uh, the Blue Jackets will do, the, do a deal for Johnson if it's just a second or a third-round pick. They still want to make the playoffs. They still want to make noise in the playoffs. They know a second or a third-round pick doesn't really help them in that regard. And for that matter, a first-round pick wouldn't help them either. But a first-round pick has that much more appeal that you might be able to consider moving Johnson on, especially if things were to go south between now and the trade deadline and you lose more than you win and you'd uh, feel a little better about giving up a, a top four, potential top five uh, defenseman like Johnson. Uh, there also seems to be a lot of talk out there um, about Boone Jenner and Alex Wenberg's availability or lack thereof. I think both of these players are in really different places. They're both young. They're both good players. Jenner is a restricted free agent at the end of uh, this year. Wenberg's already signed to a, a long-term extension at a shade over $4 million a year. Um, I don't think the Blue Jackets are trying to get rid of Jenner, and I don't think they're trying to get rid of Wenberg. But these guys are not um, producing at the clip they can produce. At least they haven't been on a consistent basis. And 
for Columbus to move on on either one of those guys, I think they'd be selling low. And um, I, I still think that, especially with Jenner, he's part of their leadership group. Um, but if, if teams are going to call, then they're obviously going to listen. Uh, I don't think it's their intent to move Jenner or certainly, and especially Wenberg, before the, uh, the trade deadline. But uh, I guess Jarmo Kekalainen would do well to listen. But uh, a lot of those calls get generated because teams think they can come in and steal a pretty good hockey player who's not playing at his peak right now. Dallas. Oh, yes, the Dallas Stars. I would probably say that general manager Jim Nill's attitude is long-term, short-term, if it makes sense, we're going to do it. This is a pretty good hockey team. It's got a chance to contend. Um, But right now, if you want me to be perfectly honest, the Stars' number one biggest need as they head towards the deadline is to get healthy, stay healthy. And when I say get healthy, I'm talking about defenseman Mark Mathot, who's only played 16 games this year. He's currently out with a, a, a nagging knee injury. And they really, really, really need him to get back in the lineup. And he is said to be inching closer to a return. But uh, as long as he's not in the lineup, that's a big hole on the blue line. So that's the get healthy part. The stay healthy part is center Martin Hansel. I'm staying healthy. He's only played 35 games this year. He's got a bad back. The good news is that he's played the last two games for the Stars. He's looked quite good doing it. And and this is absolutely essential. So I would say the quite aside from what they do at the deadline, the, 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 the Stars' biggest need here is for Hansel to stay and be able to play the balance of the season at a reasonably high level and for Mathot to get back in the lineup and start getting some games under him so that when he gets to the playoffs, He's um, where he needs to be Um, because I I think if those two guys are healthy, then it changes the whole complexion of this team. Now, assuming they are healthy, um, that's not to say they don't have other needs. Um, I I think if you were to twist Ken Hitchcock's arm behind him, he might say, give me another scoring winger if he could get one because Hitch likes to load up, or at least he has been loading up the big line. Um, You know, Tyler Sagan, Jamie Benn, and Alex Radulov all playing together. And when he does that, he's, he counters with a checking line of Radic Faxa and, and uh, Tyler Pitlick and Dominic Roussel, which means his second offensive line, if you want to call it that, is Hansel at center, and that's why Hansel is so important to the Stars' cause with Matthias Janmark and Devin Shore on the wings. So then the question becomes, are, are Janmark and Shore up to the offensive challenge of scoring goals? And... And that's where I could see the stars saying, yeah, we would, you know, would we like to add a Rick Nash there? I, you got to know Ken Hitchcock knows Rick Nash inside out, and that would be a tremendous fit. But a Rick Nash type player, a, a Michael Grabner type player um, would look good in the Dallas Stars lineup. That, but keep in mind a, a couple of things here. Um, number one, the, the cap is a consideration. Things are relatively tight. And, and this is what happens when, you know, you're paying a backup goaltender in Kari Lettinen $5.9 million and you're paying Jason Spezza, uh, who plays further down Ken Hitchcock's lineup, uh, you're paying him $7.5 million. And, and Spezza still has another year to run. Lettinen's deal, at least, is up at the end of this year. So there are some financial manipulations or concerns or or what have you there. Um, But, you know, if if the Rangers are willing to eat salary and, uh, and, and you can make it work there, there's always where there's a will. There's, I guess there's always a way. Now I don't think 
that Jim Nill is the kind of general manager that's overly horny about giving up uh, first-round picks for rentals. Um, but, uh, as I said off the top, long-term, short-term, if it makes sense, um, do it. But uh, I think the preference is to not give a first-round pick for a rental. And as much as we talk about maybe the Stars would like that a scoring winger in a perfect world, the reality is that if they get an indication between now and the trade deadline that Mark Mathot is not good to go or there's serious question marks about Mark Mathot, and any time you're at the trade deadline and a defenseman's only played 16 games in a season and he's got the miles on him that Mark Mathot's got on him, um, you've got to allow for the possibility that they might need to go out and uh, and get a defenseman. Um, I don't believe that, that Jim Nill and the Dallas Stars want to get into giving up any of their top prospects. Uh, many of well, the guys, these guys are all playing professionally now. Rupe Hintz, uh, Jason Dickinson, Dennis Gurianov. I think that's a big part of, uh, of the immediate future of the Dallas Stars, and they're not inclined to, uh, to part with those guys. But, um, you know, again, it's a, it's a cliche, but Dallas would be open to, um, to hockey deals, and uh, we'll see where it goes on the, on the, the rental front. The Detroit Red Wings, now there's an interesting team. They are open for business on several levels, but do understand this. There is no teardown coming. There is no putting it in the ditch for a few years and doing a massive rebuild. Um, I know fans in Detroit, there are some that would like to do that. Um, I don't think ownership wants to do it. And as long as Ken Holland is the general manager of the Detroit Red Wings, and he is in the final year of his contract, worth pointing out, um, I think the Wings are very wary of what's currently going on in, to varying degrees in Buffalo, Arizona, and maybe even Edmonton a little bit. That is, you get franchises that say they're going to rebuild, they're going to put it in the ditch, they're going to burn it down, they're going to build it back up. Um, but a lot of times these teams seem to get bad for so long that then it becomes the tough to break out of that cycle of, of uh, just being really bad. And, and we're kind of seeing it like we've had a regime change in Buffalo, but they don't seem any better now than they did a couple of years ago. They obviously have some bigger pieces in Eichel and others, but nevertheless, um, the fans in Buffalo are really frustrated and they're really losing a lot of their, uh, that, that team's really lost a lot of the cachet with its, with its fans. Same sort of thing in Arizona. I mean, they've been in multiple rebuilds and we thought they were going to take a step forward this year and they didn't. So anyways, um, and Edmonton would be a, a different example than that, but still similar. I mean, they got Connor McDavid. They, got, they won the lottery so many times it would make your head spin. Um, they've got all these great young pieces, and yet here they are spinning their wheels in, in such a big way and asking themselves about their own culture and whether it's, it's a personnel issue or whether it's, a, it's a, a, an attitude atmosphere issue. Anyways, long story short, as much as um, some Wing fans would argue that it's tough to break out of the cycle of just being okay, which the Wings have been for some time, but not a contender, um, I do think that the Wings are really hesitant to, uh, uh, to, to go all in on, quote-unquote, a rebuild. Now, whatever the case is, as I said, as long as Holland is the GM, um, I think you're going to see guys like Zetterberg, Abdelkader, Helm, Glendening, um, and, and I realize most of these guys make a lot more money and have a lot more years on their deals than Wings fan would like. But um, 
These guys are going to be the mentors and the stabilizing influence for a, a younger nucleus that includes guys like Larkin and Mantha, Athanasiu, Bertuzzi. Uh, I think Rasmussen could be up as early as, as next year and, and, and maybe more on the way. So I think the wing's goal is to try and keep things competitive. Don't fall into a culture of abject failure and losing, but collect enough picks and prospects and younger assets that you can reload as you go. Uh, first order of business for the wings really is Mike Green. Um, unrestricted free agent at the end of the year. Full no-trade clause. Um, completely drives the bust, bu- not the bust, completely drives the bus on when and where he's dealt or if he's dealt. And um, I think the Wings anticipate getting a first-round pick back for him. I would think the return, the expected return on Mike Green from the Detroit Red Wings would be something in the neighborhood of what uh, Washington gave up to get Shattenkirk last year, which really ended up being, at the end of the day, a first-round pick and uh, a prospect in Zach Sanford. Um, or the, the other price tag that might be cited here would be when Detroit themselves gave up Brendan Smith at the deadline last year, um, and they got a second and a third-round pick from the New York Rangers for Brendan Smith. So somewhere in between there, but I, I think the Wings will want to hold out and, and should be able to get a first-round pick for Mike Green. Um, now, because he's got the full no-trade, my guess is, my understanding of the situation is, he has a very short list of places that he wants to move to at the deadline. And I think the one fit that's been talked about a lot and I think makes a lot of sense from both sides is that of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, we'll talk about Tampa's situation, but suffice to say, they're looking at all their options. Mike Green, Ryan McDonough, Cody Ceci, you name it. If there's a defenseman available in the National Hockey League, Tampa's going to be doing their due diligence on him. Um, But um, Green would be a real good fit in Tampa, and I I can't imagine that he'd have a problem going to Tampa. Um, but I wouldn't imagine there'd be a, a ton of other places that he necessarily wants to go to in the deadline. He actually likes it in Detroit, and there's even been some talk he might come back in the summer and say, hey, uh, I wouldn't mind re-upping here on a short, uh, relatively short-term deal for money that would make sense, but uh, that's to be taken care of in the summer. First-order business is to get him traded, and we do expect that's going to happen. Uh, next up for the Wings, I would say, is they've got a surplus of wingers, and and two guys who are marketable in that regard would be Thomas Tatar and Gustav Nyquist. Now, Tatar is the better goal scorer of the two. Nyquist is maybe more skilled as a playmaker. But in any case, you could you could plug one of these guys in as a top six, top nine forward, depending on the depth on a contending team, and they might look real good. And now they both got term left. Tatar's got three years at $5.4 million per. Nyquist has only got one year left at $4.7 million. should point out that Detroit is not obliged to trade either of these guys. Um, because they're both under contract, they don't have to, but it may be a real good opportunity for them. I mean, as I said, you got a surplus of wingers in the organization. Uh, you could afford to let one of these guys go in order to get yourself, A, some, what, some cap space. Um, B, I think probably a second-round pick. I don't think you get a first for these guys, but a second-round pick might be coming back, and I think you could also get C, a prospect. So if, if you're the wings and you could trade one of these established wingers under contract and you could get yourself a second round pick and a prospect stock the cupboard. Um, you're going to give the teams that are looking for scoring help uh, something to think about. Um, 
We, we're going to talk about rental prices throughout this. We talked about Evander Kane a little bit. Um, we'll do the same thing with Rick Nash, Michael Grabner, and, and what have you. But, but if it's a first and a prospect for those guys, I mean, you want to make a team like Nashville or somebody else that's looking for a scoring winger, think about why wouldn't you want Tatar? Or why wouldn't you want Nyquist? If it's going to cost you a second and a prospect, it's going to cost you less to get one of those guys, and you, they, he's got term on their contract, as opposed to giving up a first and a prospect for a guy that's a rental like Nash or Evander Kane. So one other thing we should note, though, on the, that, that winger front, uh, Nyquist, by the way, has a full no-trade clause like Mike Green. So he fully drives the bus, and, and that's something to keep an eye on. Uh, the third element of to keep an eye on for the Wings, and this is another reason why they're an interesting team to look at, is their goaltending. Uh, you've got Jimmy Howard and you've got Peter Morazic. Now, I don't know if it'll happen by the deadline. I kind of doubt it does, but you never know. Um, but one of these guys is not going to be back next season. Uh, you can't be paying $9 million plus on goaltending. And Howard's got a year left at $5.3 million, And uh, Morazic is a restricted free agent at $4 million. He's in the final year of his contract. I don't think the wings are overly picky on which one of these guys goes and which one of these guys stays. I think it's whichever one is easiest to move. Now, we do know that Edmonton was sniffing around on Morazic earlier this year as a, excuse me, a potential backup option to, um, to Cam Talbot, but they ended up going out and getting Al Montoya. And as we talked about with Carolina before, maybe they do have a, a need for more goaltending depth where maybe Morazic might become an option. Um, one thing to keep in mind with Morazic, um, and, and if worse comes to worse for the Red Wings, if, if they can't trade Morazic at the deadline and they can't trade Howard, um, they could just not qualify Morazic um, at the end of the season, and that would effectively make him an unrestricted free agent, and he'd be off the books, no financial obligation, and he could go out and cut his best deal. So, um, you know... The, the flip side of that is if you did acquire him at the deadline, uh, the team that acquires him could do the same thing. You could bring him in, play him as a backup, give him a chance. If you like what you've got, you could take, keep him, qualify him, get rid of your other goalie. Or if you don't like what you've got, you could just let him expire and uh, no qualifying offer, unrestricted free agency. Anyways, bottom line, Mrazek or Howard, one of them won't be back in Detroit next year. Ah, the Edmonton Oilers. Now, when you talk Edmonton, there's big picture Edmonton. And there's more micro Edmonton. Now, the latter, the smaller picture, is a little easier to figure out in the short term. Patrick Maroon and Mark Letestu are both unrestricted free agents. They both got value as rentals. And right now, I believe the general manager, Peter Shirelli, is currently working hard to try and max out on both guys in a trade. My sense is that uh, Letestu will be moved for sure by the deadline. Maroon's a little bit more interesting in terms of uh, options. I do get the feeling Shirelli is out there really trying to establish exactly what it is that he could get for Maroon, what's his absolute value. And maybe once he knows what that is and how happy or unhappy he is with it, then he can have a conversation with Maroon, which is to suggest if he really, really, really loves the offer uh, on what he'd get back for trading Maroon as a rental, he doesn't have to have any conversation. He can just trade him. Um, but he may want to find out from Maroon, and he hasn't gotten down to the brass tacks of negotiating or making an offer to Maroon, and um, maybe he wants to do that and and balance it against what that return is. Go to Maroon's agent, see what the cost is going to be to re-sign him to a multi-year extension. If 
He really likes the trade return on Maroon. He can play hardball on those negotiations. And uh, as I said, not negotiate at all and just trade him. Um, But if he doesn't love the return on Maroon, um, then he has to look seriously at re-signing Maroon because, I mean, guys that can play on Connor McDavid's wing and and score 20, give or take five, uh, don't necessarily grow on trees. And and that kind of brings us to what I talked about, the big picture. You know, what can Peter Shirelli do now to ensure what's happened to the Oilers this year doesn't repeat itself next year? And um, I don't know that there are any easy answers between now and uh, the deadline. Do you go out and really hunt and and scratch and search and and try to make some seismic move for a scoring winger uh, to play alongside McDavid, allowing maybe Dreisaitl to go back full-time to play center. Um, So I I don't know. I I don't think they have the answer. I I certainly don't have the answer. Um, But I do get the sense that whatever's going to happen in Edmonton in terms of ensuring that what happened this year doesn't happen next year, it's probably more likely to happen in the summer than at the deadline. But uh, the world works in mysterious ways. You never know. The Florida Panthers. Now, I could be way off the mark here, but I do not suspect that Florida is going to be making too many significant moves at the deadline. Um, I don't get the sense there's any appetite for rentals or quick fixes in Florida. No Band-Aids. Just try and stay the course with their young core. I think they're disappointed where they're, where they're at a little bit this year, but they also feel like they're, they're headed in the right direction. Obviously, if, if Radom Verbata is healthy enough to be considered a lower-end rental at the deadline, uh, he'll be moved. But um, maybe Dale Talon will make a liar out of me on this one, but uh, I honestly don't think Florida is going to be that active between now and the deadline. On to the Los Angeles Kings. Um, we don't have to do the Hartford Whalers, by the way. They, they're no longer in the league, in case you didn't hear. Um, I do believe the Kings would like to add a scoring forward or a veteran defenseman, but I do not believe they're willing to pay the premium rental prices of a first-round pick and a prospect. And, and they might not be interested at all in any rentals, uh, unless I think there's a chance to, to re-sign a rental. Rick Nash would be an example of that. Uh, do the Kings covet what Rick Nash would give them? A big guy, plays L.A. King kind of hockey. He's been playing very well lately, by the way. Um, you know, might he be somebody that they, they would look at and pencil into their lineup and say, yeah, that's what we need? Absolutely. But if it's just for the balance of the season and it costs you a first-round pick and a prospect to do it, I don't believe the Kings would do that. Now, if they thought they had an inkling or any strong inclination that Nash was predisposed to stay in Los Angeles um, for a longer period of time at a, at a number that made sense, both in term and AAV, then yeah, I, I could see LA maybe getting into the premium rental market, but uh, that's a, that's a, a big, big if. I think the, the, the biggest addition for the Kings at the deadline could be Jeff Carter. I, he, he's getting closer. Um, that uh, Achilles injury that he had, um, He'll attend an injury that he had. It'll be uh, maybe a couple of weeks, uh, give or take. So putting a guy like Carter back in your lineup to a team that's been, you know, in the thick of the playoff race in the Western Conference, that's a huge add, especially if Carter can come back and duplicate the way he was playing when he uh, when he was injured. But in the meantime, I don't doubt that the, the Kings will be looking at, at all their options for scoring wingers. Um, guys with term, you know, Matt Zuccarello in New York, amongst others. 
Uh, they'll be looking for um, depth on the blue line. Uh, I know my colleague Pierre Lebrun mentioned the, the Dion Phaneuf from Ottawa to L.A. is not dead yet, um, but I think it would take Ottawa to really eat the eat the money on that and a real soft, soft, soft deal. And I'm not sure Ottawa wants to do a soft deal, but we'll talk more about Ottawa later. Up next, the Minnesota Wild. Now, the Wild are obviously all in to make the playoffs. Um, but given that they're right up against the salary cap and they really don't have a lot of financial flexibility, I see them as a dollar-in, dollar-out team. That is, if they're going to make a trade, um, they basically have to shed a contract to get one in. And after they gave up a first-round pick and a second-round pick for Martin Hansel as a rental last year and then not having success in the playoffs, um, I wouldn't say they're totally soured on rentals, but I seriously doubt that they're still in on that premium rental of a first and a prospect or a first and a second-round pick. And, of course, there's the, the cap issues too. I get the feeling in Minnesota that they look at at their organization and say, we've got a lot more to give from our current group, from within our group. There can be significant improvement. Um, Zach Parise starting to play better and obviously got off to a slow start because of the injuries. A Nito Niederreiter has been injured, but will be back in a, in a while. And, and he could, if healthy, make a huge impact to a team that's right on the bubble of, of uh, competing for a playoff spot. That, that list of, of ads could even include Luke Cunnan, who um, is playing in the minors, but uh, could be brought up uh, for depth. Or maybe even Jordan Greenway. Now, Jordan Greenway is an interesting guy. He was, um, he was fantastic at the World Junior Championship a year ago, um, uh, more than a year, a year ago, December, um, when the U.S. won the World Junior Championship. And he's obviously playing for the U.S. Olympic team right now. Um, and, and that's great for him. Uh, and he's still got to finish up his season at Boston University. Um, but I also think the Minnesota Wild think this is a guy who could turn pro uh, late in the season and maybe give them an immediate and significant boost into their lineup that would add, you know, act like going out and making a trade, but you do it for nothing because he's already belonged, he already belongs to you. Um, so offense is clearly an issue for this team, um, but the injuries have also been an issue, and if they get healthier, maybe they'll score more. Uh, injuries have been an issue on the blue line as well, especially now that Jonas Brodeen is out for the better part of a month. Um, now they're getting some good mileage out of their youngsters, Olofsson and Riley, um, and they're going to get more and more responsibility here in games between now and the deadline. Those guys had been platooning, now they'll both probably be in the lineup. Um, but the question I guess Chuck Fletcher would have to ask himself in Minnesota is, is do they need more help on the blue line? And if so, how do you facilitate that? Um, one other rumor that won't go away is that Matt Cullen, who's had a real tough time um, getting regular ice time or, or a role that, that would make him happy with the Minnesota Wild, um, that maybe at some point he might be a fallback position for Jim Rutherford and the Pittsburgh Penguins in their depth center quest. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that one, but um, store away the uh, Matt Cullen, uh, the dad stories, potentially back to Pittsburgh, um, if it made sense for everybody. In Montreal, the two most talked about names are uh, these days are Max Pacioretty and Thomas Placanitz. Um, kind of a wide discrepancy between the two, and, and let's talk about that. I mean, some people think Pacioretty's time in Montreal could be up, that it's simply time to shuffle this Canadian's core, and, and in not a fire sale sort of way. 
Um, I mean, a patch-ready trade cannot, under any circumstances, happen in my mind unless the Habs get some really solid help and perhaps a reasonably youthful guy that can play center and a legit center, not somebody who's a winger that maybe could play center like Jonathan Drouin or Alex Galchenyuk. I think the only way you can justify trading your captain in a in a perennial 30-goal man is, um, is to make sure that you're getting that kind of return. So... Um, there's been a lot of talk about Montreal and St. Louis talking, and and I think there probably has been some conversation, but it's it's probably a little bit overblown. Um, listen, St. Louis would love to add scoring, and we'll talk more about the Blues later, but Pacioretty could potentially fit the bill there. Uh, and the Blues, part of the reason why everybody talks about them so much is because they've got all these young forwards, young prospects coming through uh, junior hockey or in the minors, Robert Thomas, with uh, in Hamilton, uh, Jordan Cairo with Sarnia, uh, Clem Costin playing uh, in, in the American Hockey League. But I don't think the Blues are eager to part with any of those guys. Now, a lot of people do cite the connection that um, Habs assistant coach Kirk Muller had when he was in St. Louis in, in helping develop Robbie Fabry as a uh, NHL forward. And um, Fabry, of course, has lost the entire year, unfortunately, the better part of two years um, because of severe knee problems. And, uh, and, and obviously, I could see why a team like Montreal would covet somebody like Fabry, even with the injury concerns. But um, I'm not sure St. Louis is as eager to make a move in the short term for a guy like Pacioretty or Hoffman, like we all thought they were. Um, we'll talk more about St. Louis in a, in a minute. And, if, and as I said, if you're Mark Bergevin and you're not getting a premium return that includes a young center for Max Pacioretty, then I'm not sure you can make this deal at the deadline and you've got to pull your horns back in and, and go back at it at the, uh, at the draft. Now, as for Thomas Pulkanitz, I mean, the assumption has always been that uh, he's going to be moved as a, as a rental center. And, I, and he could be. But I don't think before Mark Bergevin, and no doubt at the urging of head coach Claude Julien, sees if maybe he can get Pulkanitz to take a one-year deal at an affordable number. Now, this, the mere mention of this drives Montreal Canadian fans right around the bend because they look at the Habs as one of the worst teams in the league this year, and they look at them as a team that should be offloading any aging veteran who's not nailed down with a contract going forward and that isn't perceived to be part of the solution for the next five-plus years. But here's the thing. Julian likes Placanitz as a depth center, and at the right price, I think Julian would love to have him back. And Placanitz, by the way, um, I don't think there's any question. He really likes it in Montreal, and he likes playing for Claude Julian. So not saying the Planets contract will get done, but boy, oh boy, I'm certainly not saying that uh, Placanitz is going to be offloaded as a rental at the deadline either. The Nashville Predators. Now, there's a team that's interesting. I think the Preds more than most teams, and I would probably put Tampa Bay in this group. In my mind, um, they are, or at least they should be, all in at this deadline. Now, Nashville came so close to going all the way last year, and and I think there's every reason to believe that um, they haven't gotten worse. They've gotten, in fact, better. So for me, the most obvious need for them would be a goal-scoring winger. They need a little more offensive pop. And I don't believe they'll be shy about giving up their draft picks, but they might also be a little more judicious with their prospects. Um, they're maybe not as deep at their prospects. Like, as an example, I think if anybody asked David Poyle for Eli Tolvanen, their first pick in, in last year's draft, who's been uh, scoring a lot of goals in the KHL, I'd be really hard-pressed to think that Poyle's going to part with him 
to get immediate scoring help because Tolvin may not be that far away from scoring a lot of goals in the NHL himself. Um, so I think there is an element of being judicious and yet recognizing that the moment is now for these Nashville Predators. So as I said, I don't think they'll be shy about um, giving up the picks. But I, I think they're also a little worried about it's got to be the right fit. So, you know, a lot of people are throwing out there, Rick Nash. And I, I said it on the quiz earlier this week. You know, Rick Nash, Nashville. I mean, they named the city after him already. Duh. What a good fit that would be. And in many respects, he'd be an outstanding fit. And I could definitely see it. But I also think that the, the Preds worry a little bit about chemistry. And if you bring a guy like Nash in and you play him in your top six and it starts to push everybody down, um, how does that disrupt what's been a relatively uh, successful regular season for you um, and, and the kind of chemistry that led you to the, the cup final last year? Now, maybe what you want is you want offensive depth, the ability to score goals, but maybe you don't want it to be in such a prominent role. Um, there's a lot of GMs out there I've talked to that think a guy like Michael Grabner in New York might be a better fit for a lot of teams than than Rick Nash. Uh, he makes a lot less money. He's not making $7 million bucks. He's making $1.6. Um, he scored 27 goals last year, a lot of them five-on-five. Five. He scored, uh, what, 21 goals so far this season, a lot of them five-on-five. Five. Uh, he's got elite-level speed, um, and he can really impact your... Uh, your roster in a lot of areas, but you could also play him on the third line and never feel like uh, you're you're playing him out of position or uh, forcing things or putting him in a position where he might not be happy. So um, I, I think the uh, the Predators will will look at a lot of different factors vis-a-vis chemistry um, and cost. And quite frankly, um, I don't think at his at his core, David Poyle is a general manager that absolutely loves the idea. Of, of paying big prices for a rental. And so maybe there's a player out there with term, a scoring winger out there. And we've mentioned some of the, the obvious ones, Pacioretty, um, Hoffman in Ottawa. But boy, in order to get Pacioretty out of Montreal or Hoffman out of Ottawa, those teams would have to get back major young talent. And um, if you're a cup contender like Nashville, the last thing you want to do is, is give up anything off your roster. So I, I really don't see Nashville giving up roster players. As I said, I think they'd be really hesitant um, if, if, if not even do the, the, the Tolvanen thing. Um, I'm just not as sure they're well positioned to make a big hockey trade involving a, a big scoring winger um, like Pacioretty or Hoffman. But there might be a middle ground there. And, and this is where we talk about what we did with the Detroit Red Wings. And, and the potential of maybe Thomas Tatar or Gustav Nyquist being available. I think Tatar and Nyquist can be had for less than what the rentals, uh, Nash and, uh, and Grabner and uh, Kane, would be had for, and far less than what it would cost to get you a Pacioretty or a Hoffman. And, and maybe a Nyquist or a Tatar would be the kind of fit that would work for a team like the Nashville Predators. I got to figure David Poyle's doing something. Just don't know what it is yet. The New Jersey Devils. Now, here's a team that uh, is, is building. Looks like it's on the rise. Um, very much in the playoff picture right now, but uh, I think you can say that for every team in the Metropolitan Division. And uh, in the Metro Division, you're, uh, you're never very far of being out of a playoff spot, and you're never secured 
in your own mind of actually being in one either because things things are that tight in in the metro but um i don't think general manager ray shiro is uh is heavy into the high-end rental market um unless there was a reasonable opportunity in his mind that the rental you're getting is somebody that you have a real good chance of signing. One of the things the Devils have going for them is they've kind of got a blank canvas as far as the salary cap goes. They don't have a lot of financial commitments. Um, they're not hamstrung by a lot of contracts going forward. And um, therefore, um, you know, for the right rental that makes sense, if they thought they could sign him to a long-term deal, then then maybe they could view giving up a first-round pick as investment spending. But I think just generally speaking, the Devils do not like the idea of giving up first-round picks or prospects for um, a pure rental um, that's only going to be there till the end of the season. Because the, as, as well as the Devils have played this year, and as much as they're, they're potentially in a playoff spot, they recognize that their best chance to contend for the Cup is in future years probably more so than just this year. And like a lot of other teams, the, the the big ad they'd like to make at the deadline would be get some injured players back in their lineup. Corey Schneider's got this groin problem that's been troubling them. Um, they'd they'd love to get him back, and and that's a a huge factor in what they're doing. Um, they're pretty happy, I think, with Keith Kincaid as a backup. Um, Eddie Lack looks like he's healthy enough now to maybe give them a little more insurance and if they have to use do the las vegas model with number threes and fours and fives in their organization then they can go to ken appleby or or mackenzie blackwood but in an ideal situation they get schneider back here um, brian gibbons is coming off the broken thumb i think just shortly there after from the trade deadline he could be good to go again and marcus johansson seems to be um uh, making progress from his concussion, but it's a concussion, so you can't put a timeline on it. But boy, the Devils will be a much better team if they can get Schneider, Johansson, and and Gibbons all back um, in their lineup. Uh, generally speaking, I, I think it would be fair to say that Ray Shiro is the type of general manager that wants to make the so-called the proverbial hockey deal, and he made one of those um, before Christmas when he traded Adam Henrique to the. Uh, the Anaheim Ducks for, for defenseman Sammy Vatnin. So I think that's the kind of move that he's looking at. Um, but the flip side of that is that he's also in the, in the mode to want to improve his depth. And if he's able to do that for a low-cost rental, I don't think he would hesitate um, to give up draft picks. Now, not first-round picks, but um, uh, draft picks is currency I think the Devils will use here if they need to. I mean, over the last two drafts, the 2017 entry draft and the 2016 entry draft, the New Jersey Devils made 20 selections. They took 20 players in those two drafts um, for an average of 10 apiece. So I think for the right deal, they don't mind moving some draft picks because they're, they're well positioned to do that. And when you get a guy like Will Butcher as a free agent um, who's played so well on the blue line for, for the Devils, uh, that's like getting a first-round pick for free. Although, the funny thing about Butcher is that, in, in a sense, it's almost like a trade, if you think about it. The Devils had the rights to Alex Kerfoot from Harvard, and they wanted to sign him, but he didn't want to sign with them. He went to free agency, 
and he ended up with the Colorado Avalanche, and he's playing very, very well there. And, boy, the Devils would have loved to have had Kerfoot and Butcher in their lineup. But the flip side is that Butcher was a property of the, the Colorado Avalanche, and uh, he didn't want to sign there, so he went to free agency, and he chose uh, the Devils. So there's a trade that's not a trade. Will Butcher for Alex Kerfoot. It's worked out pretty well for both teams. But uh, in any case, I think the Devils would like to um, add depth, probably more up front than on the blue line, but they're probably open to both. And and I guess if there was a primary need, you would say that it's for a more impactful offensive forward, top six, top nine. But again, um, I think Ray Shiro's playing the long game uh, as he heads up to the trade deadline, and uh, we'll keep his eye out for the proverbial hockey deal that uh, along the lines of Henrik Vatnin. The New York Islanders. Now, if I've learned anything from watching Garth Snow over the years, it's this. Number one, he's not afraid to let a pending free agent play it out and let him walk at the end of the year for nothing. And that's the worst case scenario, obviously, on the John Tavares front. But that that's not something that necessarily bothers um, Garth Snow. Number two, he doesn't necessarily view the trade deadline as a place where you would always do a lot of heavy lifting or a particularly productive time of the year. Um, Now, that's to the chagrin of many New York Islander fans. I know that. He probably knows that. Um, But I'm curious to see if if there would be a lot of moves by the New York Islanders or certainly not any big big moves. Um, Now, go watch Garth make a liar out of me. But in the perfect world, I, I think the New York Islanders' primary need is for defensive depth. But if the Isles' core defense is so decimated because of injury, Calvin DeHaan gone for the year, Johnny Boychuk still out, now Scott Mayfield out for, what, four to six weeks? Is there any point in going out and spending future assets on Band-Aids when the injury cuts already run so much deeper? Um, So I don't see the Islanders giving up first or second round picks for rentals. Uh, Though, I should point out, the Isles are particularly well stocked with their draft picks. Um, I think the Isles would uh, would like to think that the eventual return of Boychuk, Mayfield, and maybe up front Nikolai Kuhleman, um, that would replicate the effect of making deadline deals. And if they can just hang in and hang on, and that's what they've been doing lately is hanging on, um, and compete for a playoff spot, that if they get Boychuk and Mayfield and Kuhleman back, um, then maybe it would be enough to push them into playoffs. Um, we'll see. The Isles were not particularly active at last year's deadline, and, and they played quite well after that. So uh, I know they came up short on making the playoffs, ever so short. But, um, you know, maybe that's uh, um, a hint that the New York Islanders are not poised to do a lot between now and the deadline. Now, as for going back to the pending UFA situation, Tavares, of course, is, is the big one. And we're not going to invest any time here now trying to figure out which way Johnny T is is going to go, but let's spitball only for purposes of this exercise that he did decide to leave the Islanders at the end of the season. Well, in that case, those first round picks that the Islanders, uh, that the, uh, the Islanders have, they become that much more important and maybe another reason why they're so predisposed to hang on to them at the deadline rather than looking for some uh, quick fixes. The New York Rangers. All I can say is, wow, that, uh, that letter to their fans yesterday and the uh, the tweet storm they fired out there. Man, oh man, we're not saying there's a teardown going on in New York, but it could very well be that. Now, my, my take or interpretation of the letter that uh, 
they sent out to their uh, their fans and their their season ticket subscribers is that they are perfectly prepared and and very much going to trade expiring contracts like Rick Nash, Michael Grabner, Nick Holden, David Dayarnay. I, I think that goes without saying. Um, but they are going to listen and see what the market will bear if they were to trade Captain Ryan McDonough, uh, who's got a year left on his deal after this year. Matt Zuccarello, who hasn't played particularly well this year, but uh, if he got rejuvenated with another, another team, could be a real big uh, scoring winger ad. Um, as well as guys like J.T. Miller, and Chris Kreider, and uh, Mika Zibanejad, and on and on it goes. And I guess what it really boils down to for the Rangers is they, they've got a, I think they, they're doing uh, an interesting exercise where they basically ask themselves, who on this team do we want to be married to? So, I mean, in the case of JT Miller, he's only 24 years old. Uh, and yet he's a restricted free agent. His contract's up this year. Um, same thing with, uh, with Hayes, um, a restricted free agent. Um, so, we're basically at that point where do they want to walk down the aisle with JT Miller and, uh, and, and Hayes and maybe they don't let's see what, what they'd fetch on the open market. We're not committed to getting rid of these guys. It's not a fire sale. Uh, same deal with Chris Kreider, who's uh, obviously not available here because of the, uh, the surgery related to the blood clot that he had. But, um, you know, and he's got multiple years left at a fixed cost asset. You know what, what the cost is, and that can both um, help you if you want to trade him or help you if you want to keep him. You know exactly what the, the cost is. Let's find out what he's worth on the open market and, and see if we want to commit. So basically, anyone not named Lundquist um, is, uh, is up for grabs, and they can make those dis- dis- discretionary decisions, easy for me to say, on uh, who they want to keep and who they want to get rid of. It's almost like a zero-based budgeting approach. Let's go player by player through our roster and decide what they're worth on the open market and what they're worth to us and figure out whether it makes sense to trade them or keep them. So it's it's a fascinating exercise, and I know I did uh, I did Montreal Radio this morning, and they're like, hey, can we do this in Montreal? And there will be some other cities, notably a place like Montreal, that would say the same thing. So it's kind of a, a bold initiative. And they're going to get lots of calls on, on McDonough, who's got a year left at 4.7, and Zuccarello, who's got a year left at 4.5, and Kreider, who's got, what, two years left at 4.625, and and Miller, who's uh, RFA at 2.75 million. And, you know, and you've got... Uh, Zabanejad, who's got four years left at five million, and, and Jimmy Vesey, who's an RFA, and Kevin Hayes is RFA, Brady Shea's an RFA. I'd be really, really surprised if the New York Rangers trade Brady Shea between now and the deadline. Um, I would think a defenseman of his age and the fact that he can skate the way he skates, um, he's more part of the solution than he is the problem. But you might as well listen and, and as I say, determine trade value. Uh, and then determine value to the team in the form of what contract you have to give them. I don't think Shattenkirk um, is, a, is a tradable asset with three years at 6.65. Um, Mark Stahl with three years at 5.7, probably not. Um, but that's fine. Uh, you go through this exercise and start to uh, offload players and collect first-round picks, second-round picks, prospect, and young players and start to build this back up. So a bold initiative by the New York Rangers. It's going to be uh, fun as hell 
to watch. Might not be fun as hell for Henrik Lundqvist and some Ranger fans who maybe got a glimpse of their immediate future in that uh, 6-1 loss to the Bruins the other night, which is probably in large part why the letter got put out the day after. The Ottawa Senators, what exactly are we to make of the Ottawa Senators? Now, I I honestly couldn't tell you what's going to happen other than something's going to happen. I think it's a pretty fluid situation in Ottawa. I mean, in December, I would have bet, December or even coming out of the uh, the Christmas break, I would have bet big money based on all the chatter that was going on that Mike Hoffman was absolutely going to get traded. And now I'm not nearly as sure. Um, so two weeks from now, who the hell really knows? All I know is that General Manager Pierre Dorian, uh, fresh off a visit to Barbados to meet with owner Eugene Melnick, um, to, to get a sense of, of where the owner wants to go and make sure everybody's on the same page. Uh, he's going to be talking to a lot of teams and he's going to be trying to make a lot of things happen. And as I said, um, in December when the wheels were falling off um, Ottawa and uh, early January, same thing, um, I would have bet big money that Hoffman was going to be traded. Um, he's got two years left at a little over $5 million. I would have bet big money that... Um, John Gabriel Pajot was going to be traded. Uh, he's got two years left after this one at $3.1 million. Or that Zach Smith was going to be traded for sure with three years left on his deal at $3.25 million. And now, I mean, like I mentioned off the top, um, you don't get the feeling that Hoffman's nearly as much in play as he was before. And if he is, it's going to take a hell of a hockey deal to get him out of there. You, you saw the goal he scored in overtime. Last night to beat the Nashville Predators, just blew by Roman Yossi, went in and, and scored. And he and Duchesne are starting to develop some really good chemistry. So, um, as I said, uh, maybe less likely to be traded now, but, you know, still a possibility. I also get a feeling that the, the Sens seem to have pulled their horns back in a little bit on Pajot moving. I know Pittsburgh had been interested in Pajot, but seems to think that's off the table now. So, But, you know, for every time a name goes off the board... Another one comes on. There, there seems to be more talk now that maybe Derek Broussard is a guy that they would uh, they would possibly move. There's always talk about Dion Phaneuf's situation. Um, the LA Kings seem to still have interest in Dion Phaneuf, but only if, I think, if it's a soft deal um, where 50% of Dion's remaining money is taken and uh, the acquisition price isn't high. And I'm not sure that fits with what Ottawa is doing. I don't think they want to get rid of Dion for the sake of getting rid of him, unless there's marching orders from the owner to say get rid of money, in which case um, they they might make a soft deal to to lose the money. But as much as you're losing the money, you're still paying half of it. And if you don't have anything in your lineup to show for it, how much better is your hockey team? I do believe Johnny Aduya is a guy that will be moved as a rental at the deadline. I haven't mentioned Eric Carlson yet. And you know what? I'm not going to right now other than to say I really don't think Eric Carlson's going to be traded by the deadline. I think that's a summer conversation, contract conversation, and then see where they go from there so we won't waste uh, too much time other than to say, yeah, it's a fluid situation and what's true today for the Ottawa Senators might not be true tomorrow or in two weeks. On the Philadelphia Flyers, I think Ron Hextall will be open-minded as to what's out there. Um, But as good as the Flyers have been at times, and as close as they are to being a playoff team in that uh, traffic jam in the Metropolitan Division, um, I don't see them being in the premium rental market or giving up significant future assets for something between now and the deadline. Now, um, the playoffs can certainly be an enticing aphrodisiac, especially in Philadelphia. 
But I'm still guessing that uh, Hextall um, probably has the feeling that they're not yet at the stage of their development where you start to pay notable prices for any short-term boosts. And, and that said, I think all these teams are looking at improving their depth, and Philadelphia is no different than any of them. But I don't see a huge deviation from the plan. Maybe in another year it'll be time to take that step and start offloading some prospects or some picks for more immediate help, but uh, I'd be awfully surprised if it's between now and the deadline. Pittsburgh. The Pittsburgh Penguins, the two-time defending Stanley Cup champions, going for the rare, unheard of in the salary cap era, triple. I mean, doing the double, the back-to-back in a salary cap era was unheard of. Um, the, the, the triple would really be something. And, and for that reason, I don't think there's any team in the NHL, not Tampa, not Nashville, not anyone, who is as all-in as the Pittsburgh Penguins are now. Um, you know, their only goal for general manager Jim Rutherford is to win three cups in a row, whatever it takes. I mean, when you've got a core that includes Malkin and Crosby and Kessel and Latang, um, you know, there's no saving for a rainy day for general manager Jim Rutherford. Now, that said, when you all in is, is a different definition for different teams, um, Jimmy Rutherford's really limited in what he can give up. I mean, he's got his core team there. He doesn't want to mess around with the 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 core guys on the roster. Um, so you know, and and they they're very much a cap team as well. This is a dollar in, dollar out situation, more or less. And um, you know, so it, it, the deals that he's looking at making are not seismic deals for first and second line players. He just can't just can't and doesn't want to do that but he wants to improve his depth and he wants to improve his depth at center so when you got Crosby and Malkin as your number one and number two and then you've got guys like Riley Sheehan and Carter Rowney and and others that get plugged in to the middle there's there's a pretty big gap between your second line center and everybody else so in a perfect world um, Jimmy Rutherford would love to put a little more quality between the second line and his third and fourth line centers. Um, so that's why he was after Peugeot, but it doesn't sound like Peugeot's a go. Um, Mark Latestu in Edmonton's been a consideration, but might be more of the same of, of kind of what they've got. Um, I, I've kind of wondered about whether if Anaheim started to sell Antoine Vermette, would he be a consideration? But um, I'm not sure that he is. Um, all I know is Rutherford is working the phones trying to find that center. Um, one of his fallback positions, I believe, uh, not to be ruled out at all, is maybe getting Matt Cullen back from the Minnesota Wild. I, I know Cullen wanted to finish his career in Minnesota for family reasons, but I don't think he's been overly thrilled with his role and nice time and situation with the Wild. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Jim Rutherford and uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins were able to work a deal with Chuck Fletcher in the Minnesota Wild um, to maybe bring dad back to Pittsburgh in that short-term situation. Um, but I also think that Jim Rutherford's been looking at uh, trying to get a little depth on the wings. This injury to Hornquist, which is week to week, is a bit of a concern. Um, I know there have been times that, that Pittsburgh's been scouting Buffalo heavy, and with Jason Botterill, the former 
Penguins assistant GM, who's now the, the Buffalo general manager. There's obviously a strong relationship between Rutherford and Botterill. And there was at various times over the course of this season a lot of Evander Kane talk, but I'm just not sure how they could make the Kane money work in uh, in Pittsburgh. But I, I could see Jim Rutherford looking for um, rentals that might be able to work using draft picks as currency, as I said off the top. Uh, the, the, the future is now for... Uh, for these penguins. So could, could he get a Michael Grabner out of New York to, uh, to really bolster the offensive depth in the bottom half of their lineup? So I guess all I'm saying is don't sleep on the penguins because they've got a general manager who's not going to sleep until he exhausts every option to do whatever, everything and anything he can to, uh, to make this team a little bit better than it is right now and give his group their best possible chance to win three cups in a row. San Jose. Well, the Sharks are usually a very aggressive deadline-dealing team, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen as much this year. Like every general manager, I think Doug Wilson is wide open to the quote-unquote hockey trades. Um, But I don't think there's a a burning desire here to prop up their chances this year by buying rentals. I'd be absolutely shocked if they were in on Rick Nash or Evander Kane or or anybody in that premium rental market that's going to cost a first-round pick. Um, listen, the Sharks want to make the playoffs. They think they can make the playoffs. Um, but as my uh, colleague at TSN, Pierre Lebrun, noted, um, a lot of the, shock, the Sharks' current attitude towards deadline dealing could be owing to the fact of Jumbo Joe Thornton's knee injury. No one knows for sure um, exactly when or if uh, Jumbo will be back this season. There, there are no guarantees. If he can play, he will. You know, he's a trooper. Um, he was going to play. He basically played last year with no ACL. Um, but so, so there is a bit of a sense that this is a transitional year for the Sharkies. Um, they don't have a second or third round pick in this year's draft. And um, I think they're probably going to try to ride this deadline out as best they can. Um, not to more, more save for a rainy day that uh, I think the, the, the Sharks would rather make a big splash this summer. They've got a fair bit of uh, cap room and financial flexibility. We don't know who's going to be on the free agent market. You know, is John Tavares going to be there? Um, what about Josh Bailey? What about James Van Riemsdyk? A whole bunch of offensive forwards that may or may not get to free agency this summer. I think the Sharks want to be positioned to at least be in that ball game should those players become available. St. Louis Blues. Uh, we talked about the Blues earlier when we were talking about those other teams and what they could do. I, I think Doug Armstrong really likes his team. I think that he thinks they can make some noise this year and, and that they do deserve to merit some consideration as a contender. I'm just not convinced that uh, everybody in St. Louis thinks they're in that mode where it's, let's add one more big piece to push us over the top. I mean, this isn't the same as when they went for Ryan Miller and they were going for it. Um, so I'd be really surprised if they were to p- pay a premium to get in the rental market. I, I don't see that at all. Um, and I and I do think they think that if they get Robbie Fabry back healthy next year, if they get Zach Sanford back healthy next year, um, and they can protect their next wave of assets, um, and we mentioned these guys before, Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas, Clem Costin, Tage Thompson, who's already on their roster, um, that, you know, they can use that group combined with the Tarasenko, Schwartz, 
and the other key elements that they've got now that uh, aren't going anywhere for a lot of years and that they still have in front of them uh, a, a pretty good runway to being a contending team for a good long period of time. So um, do the Blues need offense right now? They absolutely do. Um, in my mind, are they prepared to pay a premium to get it? I'd be surprised. And uh, the offense that they could really use would be Vladimir Tarasenko uh, shooting the lights out and uh, just getting back to the level that uh, he's capable of getting to. The Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, um, I'm not sure what defenseman Tampa Bay is going to get, but they're getting one. I'm, I would I would bet the farm on that. Um, Tampa Bay's time is now. Their window is wide open. Um, Kucherov still has a year left on his existing deal um, of, what is it, $4.76 million. Um, but they're eligible to do an extension with them this summer. And uh, when that contract expires, you know that he's going from $4.76 million to more than double that. He's, he's going to be a double-digit guy in the National Hockey League. I don't think there's um, any, any doubt whatsoever uh, about that. So I think right now um, Steve Eiserman is recognizing that the Tampa Bay Lightning are one of the best teams in the National Hockey League, and uh, you might as well might as well go for it. Um, they uh, they've got to get a defenseman. They want to bolster that uh, that position, and there are lots of really affordable for Tampa options out there. Um, Mike Green is one. And talked about his situation when we talked about the uh, the Detroit Red Wings. Um, Jack Johnson's name is very much out there. Uh, Pierre Lebrun reporting that uh, Yarmo Kekalainen and the Blue Jackets have a uh, have on the table a, an offer of a late first round pick for Jack Johnson, and uh, so that you know that's the kind of possibility that uh, that might work as well. And I, you know, Tampa has also been doing their due diligence on basically every defenseman that's potentially available, from Ryan McDonough with the Rangers to Cody Ceci in Ottawa. I think they're looking at any and all possibilities. And they obviously don't want to give up players off their roster. Um, and when you get guys like Braden Point and Yanni Gourd doing what they're doing, um, that uh, that gives them some really tremendous offensive depth to go with the high-end guys like uh, Kucherov and Stamkov and Nemesnikov, um, along with uh, Tyler Johnson and Palat and Kalorn and, and, and that group. So what Tampa wants to do, obviously, is deal draft picks and prospects. And they're really well positioned on both fronts. They've got their picks to move. And listen, to the, listen th- this list that I'm going to read you, these guys are not all guaranteed to be NHL players and not, not necessarily any of them guaranteed to be NHL stars, but they've all got a chance to play. So you've got Brett Howden, Libor Hayek, Alexander Volkov, Boris Kachuk, Taylor Radish, Mitchell Stevens, Alexei Lipinov, Anthony Sorelli, Matthew Joseph, Oleg Sosunov, Cal Foote, Matthew Pekka, who's currently playing on the roster right now. Uh, boy, oh boy, oh boy. Um, when you draft as well as the Tampa Bay Lightning draft, and often in the later rounds, that gives you an enormous amount of flexibility now when to, to use those those guys as currency and they've been doing a great job of drafting and developing and uh, so that's why I put Tampa Bay up there with Pittsburgh and Nashville as the teams feeling as though they will do whatever it takes to get what they need at this deadline. Toronto as some people like to call it the Toronto Maple Leafs well 
General manager Lou Lamarillo is obviously a tough read. It's not like uh, Lou shares much of what he's going to do. But here's what I think I know. Um, there's a Shanna plan in place here, of course, named for Brendan Shanna, Shanahan. And the, the Shanna plan, <laughs> easy for me to say, the Shanna plan doesn't preclude trades by Toronto. But you know what? I'm going to be really curious to see if Toronto does anything major at the deadline. Because in my opinion, and strictly my opinion, uh, the foundation of the Shanna plan is that Toronto expects to be a very good contending team for a good many years. Now, there's no question. They hope and aim to do some damage this year, and maybe they could. And they're wide open to the proverbial, if there's a deal that makes sense right now, will absolutely jump in and do it. But I don't get the feeling that the Leafs feel as though they're just one piece away from the puzzle. Like a lot of teams that have gotten good suddenly, um, or not so suddenly, I guess, but that, that feeling of suddenly you wake up overnight and, boy, hey, the Toronto Maple Leafs are good. Hey, the New Jersey Devils are good. Th- these are teams that are on the rise. So I, I don't think they want to weaken themselves in the very short term by trading pending UFAs like Tyler Bozak, James Van Riemsdyk, or Leo Komarov. I guess it's possible. Um, Dave Poulin told me that he's he's had some calls from people asking other teams asking about Leo Komarov. So maybe they are going to move one of these guys. Um, they could, but I'd be really surprised. Um, and if these guys, because if these guys walk as free agents at the end of the year, so be it. I think the Leafs have young players in the organization who can come behind them and replace them, but maybe not yet to the the full extent. That a guy like Uncle Leo, uh, Mike Babcock likes the way he plays. He's on a fourth line now, but he's he's really kind of made for playoff style hockey. So to that extent, um, I think it'll be all hands on deck for the Leafs. Now, I do believe that Lou Lamarillo would like to offload a contract or two before the deadline. The Leafs are at the 50 contract limit. So whether that move means moving a Josh Levo or an Akita Soshnikov or trying to find a market for, for Matt Martin, um, if, if Lou can increase his flexibility by dealing one of those, um, those contracts, even if it's a bit of a soft deal, then, um, I think he could do that. Now, the big question in Toronto always is, well, what about the D? What about the D? Well, I think the Shanna plan is that they don't have a number one defenseman per se. They don't have a Drew Doughty or an Eric Carlson or a stud number one. So I think the Shanna plan right now calls for having a couple of twos, a couple of threes, a couple of fours, and, and not having fives and sixes so much as a whole bunch of defensemen in your top six who are all making between four and six million dollars and, um, and, and are interchangeable parts and, and look at, you know, defense by committee, but not low end committee, but, you know, in that, in that mid to upper range, but not with a, a stud number one. So right now, the undisputed top four for the Leafs on the blue line is Riley Hainsey, Gardner Zaitsev. That's their top four. Um, I think Travis Dermott could emerge and ultimately take over Hainsey's spot in time in that top four and, and fit that profile. But for now, the, the immediate emergence of Dermott has given them a bottom five and six that includes Dermott, Borgman, Polak, Carrick. Um, even Justin Hall was up for a while. Uh, if they need Renat Valiev to come up, they can. So the, the question for me is, can they upgrade their, the, the five, six, and seven holes 
with something better than Dermot or Borgman or Polak or Carrick or Hall or Valiev in trade. And then the question becomes not so much whether you can do it in trade, but at what cost? Because if you've got to pay a significant price, if somebody's asking for a, if somebody's asking for a Connor Hall or a Kasperi Kapanen or uh, somebody who you put value on in your 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 core forwards going forward for many years, um, then I, I believe the Leafs will hang tough with Dermot and Borgman and Polak and Carrick and Hall and Valiev and and their depth options there. But that's uh, just a guess on my part. I do believe that if the Leafs can find the right experience fourth line center. Um, that that would be a move they would make, not unlike the move they made for Brian Boyle last year. Um, Dominic Moore may be the answer there um, for the balance of this season, but if the right guy comes along at the right place, right price at the right time, I, I could see the Leafs um, doing that. Vancouver, ah, oh, Vancouver Canucks fans, uh, they're they're pulling their hair out in Vancouver a little bit um, because they know the Canucks are technically sellers at the deadline. But the question then is begged, how much do they plan on selling? And obviously the fans and the media are clamming for Vancouver to offload pretty much everything that isn't nailed down. But Trevor Linden and Jim Benning may have other ideas. Uh, as much as the fans and media want to trade Eric Goodbranson as a rental at the deadline, um, and Goodbranson is obviously a lightning rod player in uh, Vancouver for a variety of reasons, um, the fact is that Jim Benning is on record as saying we want to talk contract as our first priority. Now, you know, they, they want to try to sign him. But whether the term in the AAV matches up for both sides remains to be seen. So he could still become a guy who's in play. But as of uh, as of this Friday, February, whatever day it is, hold on, February the 9th, um, I don't think there have been any substantive contract talks with Good Branson. I don't think there have been any substantive trade talks. So we'll get to that, but I don't think that's a hit peak just yet. Uh, Thomas Vanek is, a, is another guy that uh, will will potentially be in play at the deadline. But quite honestly, and I don't know whether it's because he um, he didn't perform well as a rental for the Montreal Canadiens way back when, when they got him from the Islanders. But um, in any case... Um, I don't think there's been a lot of action on Vanek. Whether that changes between now and the deadline remains to be seen. There's all the usual chatter on the usual suspects on the Vancouver blue line. Will they trade Chris Tanev? Will they trade Ben Hutton? I don't think they're shopping those guys, but they are listening um, to see what they do. And uh, as far as the Sedins go, it's just a non-starter. There's, they're not being traded by the deadline. They're not being extended by the deadline. The Sedin conversation is one that will happen in the offseason. They're special players. They will be treated as such. And other than that, I don't have very much more to add on Vancouver other than uh, the fan base gets owly because they don't believe uh, the team is being aggressive enough um, selling off assets at the deadline. Vegas, my goodness, what a story the Vegas Golden Knights are this season. I said it before, I'll say it again. Never seen anything like it in all my time covering the game. They're not just a good team, they are legit. They look like a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. Now, how the hell can we be saying that? Um, nevertheless, I'll keep this short and sweet. Um, Vegas was supposed to be a seller at the deadline. They're not selling. Uh, they may not get contracts done anytime soon for James Neal and David Perron. Um, but, uh, those guys are not going to be traded as rentals at the deadline like a lot of us thought they would be when this season began. This is a legit threat. They cannot weaken their team, uh, between now and the trade deadline or the end of the season. Um, if those players do walk at the end of the season, they walk. Um, Vegas will deal with that. Um, 
But um, General Manager George McPhee is playing his cards pretty close to the vest here. But um, my sense of it is that they're still waiting up until the, the final moments before the deadline whether they actually want to get into the conversations on buying at the deadline, giving up future assets. Imagine that. Vegas, who was going to be, for the next three to five years, doing nothing but accruing assets, might actually be in the mode where they're giving them up. I know they've been scouting the Ottawa Senators a lot lately. I think they've been scouting a lot of teams, and they've been doing their due diligence. And I think what it really boils down to is if McPhee thinks it makes sense for the right player at the right time, wouldn't it be something, though, if they actually had a rental at the deadline? Yeah, let's, uh, Vegas, let's, uh, let's, give up a, let's give up a first-round pick here for a rental to give us a better chance to win the Stanley Cup. It sounds nonsensical, but you know what? You can't rule it out. You just can't rule it out. So we we'll wait and in the meaning just in in the meantime just marvel and and I do marvel at the amazing story that the Vegas Golden Knights have become. Washington Capitals. Well, the Caps, they have to worry about the cap. I mean, money is tight in Washington. Um the moves will not come easily. Uh like the Minnesota Wild, I would say this is your classic dollar-in, dollar-out team for the most part. Now, um, I don't think there's any question. Washington is looking for some help on the blue line, maybe some depth on the blue line. And I think the Caps have done well this year. I mean, they've they've integrated uh, youngsters, Madison uh, Bowie and, and Kristen Juice, into the uh, into the lineup. They've um, you know they've gotten a lot of mileage out of a 37-year-old in Brooks Orpik, and he's hanging in there. But I also think when they look at their blue line and they see the youth of Bowie and Juice and they see a 37-year-old like Horpik playing a, a central role, that they probably do feel the need to get some protection for their youth in the aged Horpik. So um, would Mike Green be a really nice fit as a rental on the Washington blue line? Damn right he would. And hey, wait a second, didn't Mike Green used to play in Washington? Yeah, he did. But uh, So what's old would be new again, I guess. But here's the reality is, is I would be really shocked um, not out of the question, but I'd be really shocked if the Caps were willing to replicate their Shattenkirk deal of a year ago where they gave up a first-round pick in Sanford um, to the St. Louis Blues for Shattenkirk for a rental like Mike Green or, or really any rental, really. Um, I understand, and I, I think the, the Caps understand, that the here and now is very important, that they do have an aging nucleus, that Alexander Ovechkin's even though he looks like he's going to score 40, 50 goals for the rest of his life, he's not going to. Um, but I also think general manager Brian McClellan has to have at least one eye on the future. And so I do think he is a little bit hesitant to be throwing first-round picks around as he did a year ago. And, uh, and so I, I think if he could get a, a, a deal for a depth defenseman that could be done without a first-round pick, um, then he'd most certainly have to uh, look at that. I, I think the Caps seem to be reasonably happy with what they've got up front. I mean, everybody needs uh, needs more offense. Um, but uh, I, I think they generally like the lay of the land as far as their four forward lines go. So these seems to be the focus. And uh, I still think they're open to hockey trades where if they feel they can get an upgrade um, without sacrificing too much of the future, they'll look at doing that. But as I said, that's a tough deal to do at the deadline. Uh, and it's even tougher to do when it's dollar in, dollar out. Winnipeg. Lots of excitement in Winnipeg, and rightfully slow. This is a, uh, this is a legit, credible threat uh, for the Cup this year. Now, when I've talked about Tampa Bay or Nashville or Pittsburgh being all in at the deadline in the past, 
Um, I've said it's because they're legit cup contenders. They invariably get some angry Winnipeg Jet fans who say, hey, what about us? And it's not that the Jets aren't legit cup contenders because they absolutely are. They've got goaltending, especially the way Hellebuck's played. They're, they're, if they get Truba back from the, once they get Truba back from injury, they're deep on D. Um, they survived the, they weathered the Mark Shifley absence masterfully. They're deep at forward. Um, they really do have it all. Um, but unlike Pittsburgh or Tampa or Nashville, this is Winnipeg's first phase at being a legitimate cup contender. It's their introductory year to contender status, if you want to call it that. So they may not be quite as fully prepared as Pittsburgh or Tampa or Nashville to mortgage the future because they know they've got a very bright future for quite a few years. And uh, so I'm not saying that Kevin Chevalier off the GM in Winnipeg will stand pat. Um, I'm just not as convinced that they're as as fully committed as everybody else. Um, obviously, getting healthy uh, is is a great boon to the Jets. Having Shifley back playing, uh, being able to move Wheeler back to the wing for now. Um, but they want to get Lowry back. They want to get Hendricks back. That's where a lot of their depth at center comes in. And if for any reason those guys aren't in the lineup. They do have the flexibility now to put Wheeler back in the middle of the ice. They need to get Truba back on the blue line, but they could use a little more depth on the blue line. I don't think they want to go out and get a deal that disrupts the the, the upper portion of their defense. They, would they like a depth defenseman? Yes, I do b- believe they would, but they don't want to displace Morrissey and Truba as their top shutdown pair when healthy or Enstrom and Buffalo or Myers on that third pair. So I think they will be a little judicious in the type of depth defenseman that they might try to add um, by by the deadline. Now, there are also some limitations here from a financial point of view, not budgetary, but more cap concerns. A lot of people don't realize that uh, last year, the Winnipeg Jets paid out $4.6 million in performance bonuses um, on entry-level contracts. Thank you, Patrick Line, amongst others. And uh, I'm pretty sure they're going to be paying out another $4.6 million this year. Well, what happens is those performance bonuses get shifted. They get shifted forward. Um, so they basically take up $4.6 million of your cap next year. And, um, you know, I think when Winnipeg's looking to add, you would normally say philosophy-wise, they would be interested and more interested in maybe adding players that have term than rentals um, because that's, although I shouldn't say that. Let me go back for a second here. I mean, when they thought they were going to make the playoffs a number of years ago, they they went out and they got Michael Froelich as a rental. So they're they're not opposed to the idea of rentals at all. Uh, I'm not suggesting that. But philosophically, if you could add a guy who you know you've got for another year or two, um, then you'd feel better about giving up future assets to do it. But here's part of the problem. That $4.6 million gets tacked on to next year's cap. So that's a little bit of a concern. When you look at the contracts that are coming up here, restricted free agents at the end of this season, Connor Hellebuck, Jacob Truba, uh, Josh Morrissey, um, Tucker Poolman, uh, Brandon Tanov, I think Armia, Dano. You've got Toby Enstrom coming to unrestricted free agency, and they'll want him back. There's a lot of contracts that you're on the hook for. You got a, Kevin Chevaldeo has got a lot of work to do here, and some of those aren't going to be. That's not light lifting on the Truba deal, 
or for that matter, Hellebuck and Morrissey either. So if you were to take on a scoring winger, let's say, for example, that's got some term, it might not work. So you might be better going into the rental market and, and using draft picks to do that. But uh, at the end of the day, that's why I think Winnipeg will, will probably be looking more at depth than something prominent, but uh, wide open to a, a lot of possibilities in a year when uh, they could be making some real noise. So there you go. The marathon's over. 31 teams. We got through it all. Longest Bobcast ever. Um, if, you, uh, if you hung in for the whole 31, my goodness, thank you very much. But uh, as I see it, this is a good time to remind you of the following. This episode of the Bobcast is brought to you by Budweiser's limited edition gold sink lights. Get yours now at Budweiser.ca and bring it home. Must be legal drinking age. Speaking of gold sink lights and all things gold, um, good luck to uh, all the Olympic participants, but especially the uh, the Canadian Olympic team that are going for gold in Pyeongchang. Kind of wish the NHLers were there, but uh, there's still some great stories to be told. Um, as for uh, this Bobcast and the uh, the whole lead up to the trade deadline, I will be curious to see how many things I said that will be patently wrong. Uh, it is the nature of the beast, the occupational hazard that I'm in. Oh, yeah, this team's not ready to do this. And and so many of the, the management people I talk to, we're not paying rental prices, not a chance in the world, not premium rental prices. And I know those same guys that I just said, this team's not going to pay a premium rental price will probably be on deadline day, and there they are giving them a first, a second, and a prospect for Rick Nash. That's how this game is played. But I am curious to see what the rental prices will be set at. Uh, rentals seem to be a diminishing return uh, over the last number of years in the NHL, the, the lack of success from going after big-name rentals. So I'm fascinated to see what Nash and Grabner and Evander Kane and those other rentals give. I'm fascinated to see how the scoring winger thing uh, works out, whether it's the rentals that go or whether it's the term guys like Pacioretty and Hoffman or whether it's the in-between term guys that aren't rentals like Nyquist and Tatar and who pays for what. I'm also fascinated to see Tampa Bay, Nashville, Pittsburgh. Um, are they as all in as they think they are? What about Boston, Winnipeg, and Vegas? What about Dallas, St. Louis, Toronto, Washington? Um, and what about the transitional teams? Chicago, Anaheim, the Rangers, Detroit, all finding themselves in uh, spots that uh, they haven't found themselves in for a real long time. So um, that's it. I, I hope you enjoyed uh, what we laid out for you here. And uh, as I said, if you waited through all 31 Congratulations, and uh, I do applaud you for that. And uh, we'll have to see how uh, how things fare on deadline day as we watch, one more time with feeling, Anaheim, Arizona, Boston, Buffalo, Calgary, Chicago, Colorado, Columbus, Dallas, Detroit, Edmonton, Florida, Hartford, L.A., Minnesota, Montreal, Nashville, <sighs> New Jersey, New York Islanders, New York Rangers, Ottawa, Philly, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, San Jose, St. Louis, Tampa Bay, Vancouver, Vegas, almost forgot Vegas, Washington, Winnipeg. There you go. Four minutes to Wapner.
Okay, that's it for the At TSN Hockey Every Other Friday Bobcast. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like to submit a question on hockey or just about anything else, email it to bobcast at bellmedia.ca. That's B-O-B-C-A-S-T at bellmedia.ca and we'll try to get it on the next Bobcast. Be sure to follow me on Twitter. That's at TSN Bob McKenzie. And for great hockey coverage all year round, follow the at TSN Hockey Twitter account and make tsn.ca your source for all things hockey, especially for the Tuesday and Thursday editions of Insider Trading with myself, Darren Dreger, and Pierre Lebrun. Thanks for tuning into the Bobcast. See you next time and have a great weekend.